Earlier this year, in the month of February, the UN refugee published a fact sheet on Korea which stated that a total of 3,452 persons have been recognized as refugees or granted humanitarian status by the Korean government as of November 30, 2020. The majority of the persons holding humanitarian status are from Syria and Yemen. And just last week, 391 Afghans arrived in Korea. Albeit, the recent Afghan arrivals are not considered refugees, but rather persons of special merit due to their contribution to South Korea. Now the debate over whether Korea should allow resettlement of refugees has once again started to brew, with perhaps public perception and acceptance a little bit different from the last time we had a similar conversation. Today we'll delve into this highly political yet humane issue with Mr. Nathan Park. Mr. Park writes extensively on diverse areas of international politics and economy, including the refugee issue. His work has appeared in The Wall Street Journal, Foreign Policy, and The Atlantic. Mr. Park is a Washington, D.C.-based attorney and non-resident fellow at the Sejong Institute, and he joins us this morning from Washington, D.C. Good evening, Mr. Park. Good evening. <laughs> and good morning from us on Good Morning Seoul. Thank you so much for joining us, despite your, from what I understand, busy week. Uh, you're welcome. No problem at all. All right, let's get started immediately, uh, starting with the current refugee situation uh, regarding the Afghan refugees in South Korea. As briefly mentioned in our intro today, 391 Afghans arrived in Korea as part of Korea's humanitarian effort to assist those who have contributed to Korea's interests. Now, during a press conference last Wednesday, the second vice minister of foreign affairs, Choi Jong-un, cited moral responsibility to bring Afghans to Korea. Now, with that said, how should the humanitarian act by the Korean government be viewed? I'd say it's a good first step. Uh, this was the first ever operation by the South Korean military to, uh, to run an overseas rescue mission for non-Korean nationals. And it is impressive that they were able to extract as many people as 391 when comparable other countries like Germany and Japan could only extract a handful of Afghans, much less, the, and sometimes zero. Mm. So it, I personally wish that uh, South Korea could have done more, but mm. uh, as uh, for the first time running it, I'd say it's, uh, it deserves high marks. You know, looking at the situation from the humanitarian crisis perspective, I think the answer is simpler from afar. But you get down to logistics of it, and it's much more complicated. Each country needs to weigh out public consensus when it comes to refugee crisis. And not just in Korea, but it seems that in many other advanced countries, it's divisive. So what are some positives and negatives that Korea may face as a consequence of housing the Afghans who are considered persons of special merit? I'd say the positives outweigh the negatives. So positive, the positive side, calling them, calling these evacuees people of special merits help them in a very practical way in that they can skip the typical legal process for refugees, which is lengthy and restrictive in terms of the activities that they're able to conduct and the places they're able to go. Mm. And uh, it also helps politically and in terms of social perception. Uh, there was a opinion survey on August, conducted on August 27, 27 by Real Meter, which is one of the polling houses, one of the large polling houses in uh, South Korea. Nearly 70% of those who were surveyed approved having the evacuees stay long-term in Korea. So you can see mm. how... 
an, an appropriate label really does uh, make things smoother for these folks. Mm. And, you know, there are, I, I understand that there are some criticisms, and I think I, I understand, at least I get the point. The neg- potential downside is that, you know, the idea is it would have been better to simply call these folks refugees and then move on to improve the treatment of all refugees and mm-hmm. accept uh, more, ref- more refugees overall. And... In a better world, I would say uh, that would be the case. Mm. But in the in the current situation, if you go through that type of process, essentially we would be putting the uh, putting the evacuees to become targets of political attack. Mm. And you know the process for the evacuees have been relatively smooth so far. But even they receive some uh, political attacks. For example, uh, conservative people powers. Party's uh, legislator Cho Kyung Tae, who's a real uh, old timer veteran, he's a five term mm-hmm. legislator. He uh, claimed that there might be terrorists and Taliban uh, cells among the evacuees, which is completely baseless, but enough to stoke fear about the evacuees and put a mark on them. And so it's sort of a stigma attached to, to anyone that has a refugee status or something similar to it. Correct. A few years back in 2018, there was a refugee issue that was up for a huge debate due to the arrival of Yemenese refugees to the Jeju-do island particularly. Now, at the time, as you aptly in a titled article say, South Korea is going crazy over a handful of refugees. Do you think this experience, whether it was negative, positive with some growth or not, had an influence on how the current Afghan's arrival in Korea was perceived by the general public and how it took place? Yes, there's no doubt about it. So let's uh, take a step back and uh, walk through that uh, Yemeni refugee issue that surfaced back in 2018. It's worth remembering what happened. Mm. So the Yemeni refugees ended up in Jeju Island because unlike the rest of Korea, Jeju has a special arrangement where foreign nationals could visit the island without a visa. And this was done because Jeju is a big um, tropical island tourist attraction So it wanted to attract international tourism by making people easier to visit. Mm -hmm. And that enabled the Yemeni refugees to hop through Malaysia and Indonesia. They ended up in those countries first because they they were Muslim countries and they were relatively safer compared to the Middle East. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then from there, as they were running out of time to stay in places like Malaysia and Indonesia, they hopped over to Jeju where there was a direct flight and they could enter the island without a visa. So there are situations, for example, where applicants of refugee status are stuck in the Incheon airport for months and months, mm-hmm. uh, living in the airport. And uh, Yem- the Yemeni folks in Jeju didn't have to at least go through that. They arrived at, uh, they arrived at the airport and they were able to uh, get into the island and mm-hmm. then uh, seek refugee status. So this happened in August 2018. And worth remembering that this was basically a little more than a year into the current administration, the Moon Jae-in administration, which mm-hmm. began in May 2017. Mm-hmm. And until that point, the Moon administration was extremely popular. At one point, uh, their popular- its popularity soared over 70%. Mm. And they were enjoying the afterglow of the impeachment of uh, his predecessor, Park Geun-hye, right. 
And they were, uh, President Moon was also uh, successfully defusing the North Korean nuclear crisis at the time. So this Yemeni refugee crisis in Jeju was the first major political test that the Moon administration faced. Mm-hmm. Even when the administration at the time, as I recall, they were, um, they were enjoying still an up 60% um, approval rating, which is uh, a very unusual thing for South Korean politics. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, if I may digress just a little bit, uh, South Korean politics, uh, it's, when you don't know anything specific about South Korean politics, um, it's easy to assume that, oh, approval rating over 50% is good and under 50% is bad, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but in South Korean politics, the presidential approval rating, the median presidential approval rating for throughout the democratic era is 32%. That's mm. the median. Sorry. So you can sort of Gage. understand yeah. how unusual. So that's the line. Above 32% is good and under 32% is bad. So you can see how unusual it was and how extraordinarily popular mm. uh, Moon administration was back at that point. And even then, even with that much political capital, uh, the administration struggled with the Yemeni refugee issue. I think they wanted to do the right thing by them, mm. but there was such opposition. Um, at one point, uh, this was still early in the early going, but the Blue House, the Office of the President, has a website system where they where the folks can uh, submit a petition to be signed. Mm. At that point, um, I believe that, um, if I recall correctly, the petition to not admit these refugees, I think, was signed by over 700,000 people, and uh, it was the highest ever on record. It may be still the highest ever on record at this point. So this was such an important major challenge for the administration, and there's in my mind, there's really no doubt that this, uh, the Yemeni event back in 2018 has directly influenced the way the administration ha- has handled things mm. in this instance. And in the years following suit, maybe they became better prepared to deal with these Afghan evacuee crisis. What was really surprising to me back then while we were dealing with the Yemen refugee crisis was the fact that local surveys indicated that overwhelming women uh, were actually opposed to the idea of housing these refugees. And that's kind of out of the ordinary. Usually uh, local surveys uh, in other countries would indicate quite the opposite. So I do wonder, is it really just about the positioning and the naming persons of special merit that has changed public perception? What do you think is a fundamental difference from then and the current situation with the Afghan evacuees? So I think it, it is the name, it is the naming, it mm. is the emphasis, it is the big PR campaign mm. that the Korean government is doing this time, really emphasizing how much these Afghan evacuees have contributed and how South Korea looks good in the international stage mm. uh, to, be accept, to be rescuing and accepting these folks. I think it does uh, matter. A great, I think that really was a big uh, inflection point. Mm. But... I think I want to I want to touch upon just a little bit about how, uh, the unusual nature of that unusual coalition that opposed the Yemeni refugees back mm-hmm. in the day. In my view, that uh, really should have been recognized as an early sign of how young people of South Korea has started to turn conservative. Mm. 
Mm. And you could see this. Um, you could see this much more clearly now. Mm. But um, typically, you would have, uh, typically people might typically assume that young people are more liberal, more progressive, more less less meaning mm-hmm. because you know they are idealistic. They're young and uh, mm. they they want a better world for everybody. Um, and that assumption has been challenged significantly in, in the Korean context. So in Yemen, uh, when it comes to the Yemeni refugee crisis, the, um, the usual suspect when it comes to the opposition, the usual suspects were there. The usual suspects, by, by that I mean, uh, for example, evangelical Christians who are very conservative, uh, very, very suspicious of Muslims. Mm. Um, and that, uh, you know, is not surprising. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you could see a coalition of young people, and including young women, uh, who had this very strong xenophobic fear mm. against these refugees who really, you know, were not in a position to harm anyone, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in my view, this was really an early sign of how South Korean politics would be shaking out in the coming years. Mm. But how does xenophobia just... Um, I might be uh, generalizing here, disappear in a few years because of this, as you've put it, a PR move. I, I, I fail to understand how in such a relatively short amount of time, the South Korean consensus could change over an evacuee issue. So I don't think the xenophobia went away. Mm-hmm. It, I think the xenophobia will be, is still there. It will be there mm-hmm. for foreseeable future question really is, can it be circumvented or overwhelmed through a different narrative somehow? And at least in this instance, um, this was, it was circumvented and overwhelmed. I don't expect that this would continue. Uh, for example, I mean, evacuation now is over, but even assuming South Korean government uh, managed to ferry out 10,000 more Afghans, for example, mm. the, the luster would fade. I would compare this to situation with uh, North Korean defectors. Now, uh, North Korean, uh, with North Koreans, they're not technically refugees as far as South Korea is concerned because technically uh, South Korea claims sovereignty over the entire Korean peninsula mm. and uh, North Korean people are uh, automatically the citizens of Republic of Korea and they don't go through any sort of refugee process at all. Right. But... When North Korean defectors first started appearing in South Korea, they were treated as heroes. And it was nonstop news uh, when, for example, a family of Kim Man-chur back in the uh, 80s took a boat, uh, took a fishing boat and snuck into South Korea. And that was a big deal. Mm. Whereas now we have been several decades into a steady stream of North Korean defectors. Over 30,000 North Koreans live in South Korea now. And, you know, North Korean defection doesn't really make the news anymore unless we're talking about a very, very high level person. Mm -hmm. And sort of on a very ordinary level, the xenophobia towards North Koreans even have uh, has returned in full force. Mm. So I wouldn't say xenophobia went away in any sort of way. It's so far defeated once in this occasion. All right, then. Uh, can I ask you a much bigger question? Going forward, what kind of responsibilities should Koreans bear then regarding refugees, evacuees, how we help them, and how we deal with them? 
So I personally believe very, very strongly that Koreans need to shoulder a greater responsibility for accepting more refugees. Mm. And I believe so because it just makes sense on every level. Mm. First of all, uh, legally, South Korea is a signatory to the 1951 UN Refugee Convention. So Korea has a treaty obligation, and treaties is, international treaties is, in fact, the highest law of the land. It's even higher than the Constitution. And then morally and historically, many Koreans were previously refugees through the war, through the Japanese colonial era. Uh, that's the reason why the, the Korean diaspora around the world is so large, because when the country was going through difficult times, uh, many Koreans sought a safe haven in a different country and they were welcomed and they were able to settle there. Mm -hmm. And it's only right to give back what Koreans received, especially considering the fact that you know, uh, today's South Korea, this wealthy democracy, at least partially, uh, it became a wealthy democracy on the backs of the diaspora that continued to serve as a bridge between Korea and the world. Mm. So it, it's really giving back in a very, um, in, uh, giving back what Koreans received in a very material and, and, and tangible way. It is only and right then finally, to repay that. Exactly. Thank you very much, Mr. Park, for a very thorough interview. Uh, we wish to uh, speak to you again in the future and have a safe rest of the week. Thank you very much. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.